I don't know about you, but during this Christmas season, I feel very busy. I find myself overloaded. I found myself sometimes stressed out. I find myself thinking about all the things that I have to get done. And in a world where I have so little margin anyway, um, when it comes to the holiday season, the, um, the pressure maybe that we feel from friends, from family, finances, all the things that seem to just compound in this month from like Thanksgiving on, it all seems to just compound. And it's pretty much anything I can do and everything to just kind of stay in the middle of the road and not just like dive right over the cliff. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? It's like we try to fit all the, like people that we never see during the year or maybe a couple times. Everybody wants to do that during Christmas season. Why is that? I don't know. I think we just love the season. And this busy time of Christmas, I, I was preparing this message and I thought I just wanted to go back to what is Christmas? Christmas is a festival of the celebration of the birth of Christ. But in, in this season, I vary in emotions. Um, you know, women are allowed to do that, right? So I vary in emotions. Some days I feel like, I feel like Buddy the Elf. And when I feel like Buddy the Elf, I feel like the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And I'm in my car and I got my Spotify mix going and I've jacked up the sound and I'm singing jingle bells and, 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 and way in a manger and silent night and all the Christmas songs and I'm so excited. And then there are days that I feel like the Grinch. And the Grinch said, I must stop Christmas from coming, but how? And he muttered, it's all, it's all about the gifts. And when you look at your budget, sometimes you're like, oh my God, I have to stop this from coming. And then we remember the line when, when the Grinch said, look, I don't wanna make waves. But this Christmas thing, it's stupid, it's stupid, it's stupid. But, but really, you know, in my heart, I wanna be a who from Whoville. Because the, the story of the Grinch tells us that the who's of Whoville, that the young and old, they would sit down to a feast and they would feast and they would feast and everyone was singing without any presence at all. Christmas trees, Christmas lights, Christmas stories, Christmas sounds, Christmas wrapped packages beautifully under our tree. And now it's not enough just to have one tree. Well, it is in my house, but you know, now it's the competition of how many trees you can have in your house, all to celebrate Christmas. And Christmas means it's a festival of celebrating the birth of Christ. But stand among a group of friends or family today and just mention the name Jesus. You'll get varying responses. Some will be, yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. And others may say, yeah, I never really got into that story very much. Because that's the world that we live in. Some believe Jesus existed. Some don't even believe that he existed or that he was just a prophet, certainly not the son of God. And how did this whole birth thing happen anyway? From the beauty of creation to sin in the garden, 
from Noah to Abraham, Moses, he led the Israelites to the promised land, but man continued to rebel. From David to Isaiah, the prophets, they spoke of the birth of this coming Messiah, that he was coming and this Messiah, he would, he would make things right again. They knew something good was coming, that the Messiah, that he would rescue them. And then in Malachi, he proclaims, look, the Messiah, he is coming. And then last week, we read the very last verses in the book of Malachi that says, and the hearts of the fathers were turned towards the sons and the hearts of the sons will turn towards the fathers. And when we jump into Luke chapter one, we see when they talked about the birth of John the Baptist, the angel said it again. He said, he will turn, he will go before the man that will turn the hearts of the fathers towards the son. Everyone was excited. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. 400 years of silence followed the book of Malachi. And then the silence was broken by the cry of baby Jesus. And our promised deliverer has come. Okay, so let's go back to the Bible. I'm amazed when I think about this time of year that we don't, sometimes we get so busy that we don't even open scripture and read about the birth of Jesus, the whole reason for Christmas. So let's go to the original story of the birth of Jesus and together let's remember because I believe that in our remembering, it will serve as our compass of where we're to go moving forward in this Christmas season. So let's jump to the book of Luke. And Luke gives us a great um, story or gives us a great understanding of the birth of Jesus and all the events that came around that time. And we're introduced to um, a, young, a wom young woman named Mary. And growing up in a Jewish home, Mary would have grown up hearing conversations about the coming Messiah. Because this was something that the Jewish people believed in. This was something that they knew was coming. And so it would not have been unfamiliar for her. Prophets and prophecies had been spoken. In the book of Isaiah, it said prophets, it said this, a virgin would conceive and bear a son and his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And by the way, I want to, um, if you have your Bibles uh, on your phone or your actual Bible, like the real paper book Bible, get that out. So the side screens are not working and so it won't have the scriptures up for you. So you have to kind of write notes because I'm gonna go through a lot of scriptures. Um, it, it's crazy, like those two projectors that have been hanging there forever in the same week, they both stopped powering. So it's um, just another like $5,000 expense in the budget. But so just call that in when you're, when you're talking to your angels, call in those projectors. That's, so that's why there's no scriptures on the screen. So when Isaiah prophesied that there would be 
a virgin that would conceive and bear a child. Think about this. Now, now Mary couldn't have known from the beginning of time, from the beginning of her life that God had his eye on her, that he had planned and prepared her to bear and, and, and to raise Jesus, the savior of the world. I, I mean, so when the, when the angel Gabriel came in Luke chapter one, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and the Bible says that she was alarmed. It's kind of funny because in John one or in Luke one, when the angels appeared to Zachariah and to Elizabeth, every time the angels appear to somebody, it starts out by saying, be not afraid. Apparently that's because I don't know about you, but I don't see angels just walking. They see us, but I don't see them walking around all the time. But in every story, in every account, be not afraid. <laughs> so they say to Mary, um, you know, that she is going to bear a son and she would give birth to baby Jesus. And she, she kind of seems a little alarmed. She asked the question, how can this be? I am a virgin. And then they kind of have this conversation. The angel says this, he says, well, the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you. Well, you know, like you're 13, 14 in your bedroom. Here comes Gabriel, comes in and says, hey, blessed and highly favored are you. You are going to bear Jesus, the son of God. Okay, how's this gonna happen? Oh yeah, the Holy Spirit's gonna come over you. Oh yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. So I went back to Genesis and that word hovered or come upon, I went back and in Genesis chapter one, verse two, it says, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. The same spirit that hovered in Genesis is the same spirit that hovered over the womb of Mary. It's the same spirit that hovers and indwells us as believers in Christ. When our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that is the same spirit. Do you see how God all the way from the beginning of time has planned this out to be with you? Emmanuel, God with us, the light had come. So Mary has this conversation with Joseph and she says, be it unto me according to your word. How's this gonna happen? He, the angel just quickly looks back at her and said, with God, all things are possible. So let's pick the story back up in Luke chapter two, verse one. Luke chapter two, verse one tells us that we are under the rule of Caesar Augustus. And it was time in the Roman empire for a couple things to happen. So they had a registration or a census. The reason they had this, number one, they needed to find out how many fighting men there were. The number two thing is that they had to collect taxes. Now, I don't, if you've ever traveled to the country, this area, this region, the Romans were absolutely amazing in their system of building roads. As a Matter of fact, people are still walking on the roads that the Romans built even today. Now, I don't know if New Circle Four is gonna be here that long, but the Romans had something happening. And so they had to have a lot of money to, do, to make this happen. So everyone had to go to the town according to Jewish custom. And the Jews, they would go back to not just their town, but the tribe from which they came. So, for Mary and Joseph, for them to register in the census, they had to travel 90 miles uphill 
from Nazareth south to Bethlehem. Now, do y'all remember what, what state that Mary is in right now? She is pregnant, right? So on average, 90 miles, on average by foot, people would travel about 20 miles a day. But a woman who was full term, there's no way that's probably gonna happen uphill. Um, so it probably took them a week and a half to two weeks to get to the town of Bethlehem. And because you have to think about now it was the registration or the census. So everyone is traveling. Everybody's been kind of uprooted from their normal routine to go find the place because they, they had to register under the rule of the Romans. And so that's where we find Mary and Joseph in this little town of Bethlehem. And what do we know about the town of Bethlehem and the inn? What was the inn? The inn was full. There was no room in the inn. Well, that, that's why. So once they were in Bethlehem, Mary was full term and she delivered the baby Jesus. Now just think about this for a moment. So we see Mary in her bedroom. Gabriel comes in, favored, blessed are you. You will bear this child, Jesus. How am I going to do this? I don't know. I know not a man you know, just what people would say, Mary, sure, Joseph, what's up? You know, I mean, all these things that people would say. And it's interesting, we don't have time to go into to it today, but go back to Luke chapter one, because the way that God so intricately intertwined the prophecy of the birth of John the Baptist and how he confirmed when Elizabeth, she was old in age, but he confirmed to Mary, this is gonna be okay, because you know your relative Elizabeth, the one that's old, that's never been having to have children, guess what? Now she is five months pregnant, go to her. And when she walked in, Mary, when, her, when she spoke to Elizabeth, you know what the Bible says in Luke 1? The Bible says that the baby inside of Elizabeth, it leapt. It leaped. John the Baptist was the forerunner to declare that Jesus Christ had come. It's so amazing to me how intricately laid out and planned God was with this story. So we see in Luke 2, 7 that Jesus was born in a manger among the animals because there was no room in the inn. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and she laid him in a manger. Now, we all know what we remember the mangers looking like. It was the little wood thing that like the little V, that's not what mangers were at that time. Mangers were actually large rocks that were hewn out. Those were the animal troughs. So baby Jesus was actually wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a rock that had been hewn out as a feeding trough. And after the birth of Jesus, the angels, they made another visit. So they'd already been to Zechariah, they'd already been to Elizabeth, they'd already been to, oh, they'd been to Joseph. I think the book of Matthew talks about that. They'd already been, let's see, they'd already been to uh, Mary and now Jesus is born and they come to another group of people. They come to the shepherds that are keeping their, everybody knows that, keeping their flocks by night. And the angels came and they calmed their fears, be not afraid. And they announced this to the shepherds in verse 10. I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a savior who is Christ the Lord, this will be a sign to you. 
that he will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, let me stop here and just bring up two things that I think are really interesting when we, think, when we look at this story. The first thing is the angels came to the shepherds. Now, the shepherds in this time were the men who worked seven days a week, day and night, which meant that they had not taken their Sabbath. They were considered to be unclean. So the shepherds were considered the lowest on the social ladder. But the angels chose to deliver the message of Christ the Savior, the Messiah had come. They chose to deliver that message to the men, not the blue bloods, but to the men who were the blue collar workers. He said, I want you from the highest to the lowest, I want you to know that you are a part of the story of Jesus. The shepherds were so excited. Luke says that they marveled at all they had heard and seen. And the second thing that the angels declare, they first came to the shepherds. The second thing is that the, the angels say that, says that Jesus came for all. Now, Mary was a Jewish woman and she was of Jewish descent and it was the Jews that were prophesying and believing for the Messiah to come. But the angels in that moment declared he had come for all, Jews and Gentiles. That this Christ that was born would come to be the savior for not some, but the savior of the world. And Luke 13, and suddenly there was with this angel out in the fields with the shepherds, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest peace and goodwill towards men. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I think about that particular passage, I think about the scene of, you know, silent night and there's the manger and there's the star. And, and I think like, I feel like I hear, you know, we say the angels were singing. The angels were singing glory to God in the highest. But actually what bears out in scripture. And when I began to study this out, I was like, okay. So we've had our interest peaked the last month about angels, right? So I want to segue just for a minute from the birth of Jesus. And I wanna talk about angels here. But here's the thing, angels were so much a part of the story of the birth of Jesus that it felt so fitting to just stop for a moment and talk about this because the, the Bible says that they were not singing. What does it say? They were saying, they were speaking. So here's some things about angels first. There are 34 books in the Bible that speak about angels, 17 in the Old Testament and 17 in the New Testament. Two thirds of the angels are heavenly angels. One third of the angels are Lucifer's angels. So those are the fallen angels. That's a completely different story that we don't have time to get into today. Angels are referred to as hosts of heaven. Now I won't expound on this, but think about the role of a host. 
When someone comes to your house, you are a host. So I won't go there. Just think about the role of what a host of heaven, what would a host do? Hebrews chapter one, verses 14, speaking of angels, says this, are they not ministering spirits sent forth for those who will inherit salvation? Okay, who inherits salvation? Us, humanity, right? Jesus came, he died on the cross for the penalty of our sins so that we could be saved, right? Can animals be saved? The Bible doesn't bear that out. Can angels be saved? They don't need to be saved. They don't need to be redeemed. But humanity, mankind, Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us, came for us. He shed his blood on the cross. He died for us for the penalty of our sins. So we inherit salvation. Jesus, just as Jesus prayed on the cross, and angels were sent to him. Remember that? He called down the angels. Okay, so just as Jesus called the angels, we can also pray for angels to help us. In John 20, 21, Jesus said this, as my father has sent me, even so I send you. Who's you? Me, you, we are you. Jesus said, my father sent me, okay, now I send you. So what I have spoken, you can speak as well. We can command angels. Now, this is interesting because when we started talking about this about a month ago, I was like, I don't know, that feels kind of weird. We can command angels like, I'm human, that's an angel. How am I able to command an angel? It feels so commanding. It feels, it just, it feels not humbling, not like walk in love. It feels like commanding. I, and I'm like, can I command an angel? So I began to study it out and I, I don't have time to go through it all, but these were, this was just a few things that as we talk about commanding angels or sending angels forth, these are kind, this is just kind of the, the rule of thumb that I want you to think about um, when you talk about commanding angels. And let's see, okay, so in Isaiah 45, 11, I hate that these screens are not working. God said, concerning the work of my hands, command me. So God is telling us, concerning the work of my hands, what you want me to do, command me. And in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, we know that what? We were created in the image of who? in the image of God. Just hang on with me for just a, just a minute. Um, and we know in Hebrews one, it confirms to us that angels hearken to the voice of Jesus. Angels, Hebrews chapter one, go read it at home. Angels listen to the voice of Jesus. Who is Jesus? In John one, one, the book of John opens up with the scripture that says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and who? The word became what? Flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. The word was Jesus. So we know that angels obey the voice of God. And so when you speak, the word of God, we know they obey the voice of God and we know they obey the word of God. 
Anything that is contrary to the word of God, angels will not obey. But when you speak according, you say, well, how do I know the word of God? I mean, I had a dream or I had this. You go to the word of God and you find out, okay, if I pray, God, kill my husband, send an angel, is that gonna happen? No, because it's not according to the word of God. So when we talk about commanding angels and sending them to do work on our behalf, the what we command, they will not hear anything other than the word of God. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so another interesting thought about angels. Uh, this is really cool. When I started studying this out, I was like, this is crazy. Is this really like, this is awesome. So I am not a theologian. So I, I feel like this is right. And I feel like the word bears it out. But the more I studied it, I'm like, this is, this is cool. So in Luke 2, 13, and suddenly, we go back to that same scripture, and suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and not singing, but doing what? Saying, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace and goodwill towards men. So we only see angels singing two times in the Bible. Every other time they're speaking. The first time that we see angels singing in the Bible was before the fall of man. The second time we see angels singing is in Revelation chapter five, when Jesus came back and brought and, re, and removed the curse. Okay, so let's look at those scriptures. So there's this scripture in the book of Job. Now, Job is in the middle of your Old Testament, but theologians and scholars believe based on the scripture and based on what's written in the book, it's actually the first manuscript written, okay? So Job is going through, I mean, a rough time, right? Job's a little frustrated and you probably would be too, right? So he's probably saying some things that he probably shouldn't have been, probably complaining a little bit and God was just fed up. Have you ever just been fed up before with your kids or, and you're like, listen, okay, this is the moment we're walking into in Job chapter 38 with God and Job. And here's what he says. And then the Lord answered Job and out of the whirlwind, he said this, Job, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Ooh, we speak things, but have no knowledge. Now, Job, Prepare yourself like a man. That sounds like a scene from a movie. Job, prepare yourself like a man. I will, by, he says, I will question you, Job, and you will answer me. This is a seriously intense moment. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely, Job, you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Like a plumb line? Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone? Have you ever had one of those moments with your kids, when, especially when they're young and they're like, uh... I don't know. 
imagine right now, that's how Job is feeling. And and, in verse seven, God says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, the morning stars, the angels, they sang together. And then the second time that we see angels singing is in Revelation when Jesus takes the scroll and removes the curse. Here's what the scripture says in in Revelation chapter five. Now he who had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, which were the angels, and 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. So we see the angels sang before the fall of man. And then we see again that the angels sing when the curse was removed. God has a passion for music. God has a passion for singing. Why? Because God created music. You know that, that one third fallen angels, there was this, this archangel, his name was Lucifer. Lucifer was music. When he walked, when he spoke, everything about Lucifer was beautiful. He was music. And then at some point he got prideful and said, I will rise above you, God. I will go before you. And God was like, yeah, right. And he kicked him out of heaven and a third of the angels went with him. Now, totally sidebar here, but think about what is an area that the devil fights us so hard in and tries to take power in? The music industry. Because that is who, that is who he is, but God has redeemed us from the curse of the law, right? So God wants us to take back the power of music. He wants us to take back the power of singing. Psalms 96, he says, oh, sing a new song to the Lord, all the earth. Who's all the earth? We are all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalms 47 verse six says, sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises to the King. And he says it again, say it with me, sing praises. We worship a God who sings. The Bible says that he sings over us. So sing praises back to him because as he sings over us, when we sing, It's a way that we can become more like him. The awesome privilege that he gives us as those who inherit salvation. Who inherits salvation? We do, okay? So in Hebrews 1.14, we inherit salvation. Angels don't need to be redeemed, but we do. Hebrews 1.13, last one. So we've, been, we've been, talked about angels. We've been talking about that whole piece about that we are seated at the right hand of the Father. One more thing in Hebrews chapter one, when we are talking about angels, God says, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool? 
He has said that to us. Sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your your foot. So God has positioned us at the right hand, but not the angels. God has commanded us to sing, but the angels cannot sing. They sang before the fall and they'll sing after, but right now they cannot sing, but we can. And we come in on a Sunday morning I feel like I'm like in the locker room right now. Come on. I'm going to leave it right there. Okay. I think maybe Buddy the Elf had something right. Sing loud. (laughs) The best way to spread Christmas cheer, the celebration of the birth of Christ is sing loud for all to hear. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to Luke 2. Let's finish up this story. The events surrounding the birth of Jesus. There's a man named Simeon. Comes into the story around verse 22. He's been waiting for a long time for the consolation of Israel. Consolation means comfort, the comfort of Israel. Now, what we know about Simeon is that he's lived long enough to experience the civil war under the rule of the Roman hand. He'd seen a thing or two. and He'd walked through war, and he'd seen loved ones die, and he'd seen loss, and he'd seen pain, and he was waiting on the comforter to come. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he's old, but because we know that he's waited a long time, and the angel said to him, you would not die until you saw Christ. We can kind of assume that Simeon was an older man. He was ready. He was waiting. He hears the talk from who? The shepherds that someone had come. He knew enough about Jewish tradition that at some point around the eighth day that the parents would bring the child to the temple to be blessed, bring a sacrifice. So where do you think Simeon was? He was hanging out around the temple waiting. Can you imagine him like a stalker in the temple? Like, is that the one? Nope, I don't think that's the one. Is he the one? Nope, nope. He's, I don't think he's the one. And then he saw him. The Bible says that he sees the baby Jesus and he holds him in his arms. Now, if you are a first time mother and you walk into church and a strange man that you've never met grabs your child and holds him in the arms, that could be another alarming moment in the life of Mary. But, but Simeon, takes the baby Jesus, he holds him in his arms and he sees prophetically, the Bible says he sees that Jesus was the salvation and he was the light. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter one when the spirit of God hovered over what? Darkness and void. And then what was the next thing that God said? Let there be light. And then in Luke chapter two, Simeon says, the light 
He, he, he has come. I mean, even before Jesus would heal anyone, even before Jesus would feed the 5,000, even before Jesus would speak words of life, even before Jesus would lay down his life on the cross for the penalty of our sins, Simeon had been waiting. Simeon knew he was the one. Then we go on a couple verses, last but not least, in verse 36, we meet another woman. She was a widow, and by all accounts, she was north, just north of 100 years old. And verse 36 tells us that she had fasted and prayed in the temple for many, many years believing for the Christ to come. She was in the temple, and when she saw Jesus, she declared, our Redeemer has come. North of 100 years old. We don't know how old Simeon was, but we know he wasn't a young buck. Mary, 14, 13 years old. The shepherds out abiding to their flocks by night, not the highest, but the lowest. And because of time, we don't even have time to go to the wise men and crazy Herod and how he tried to trick them and all that. That's another book. That's another, that's another story. But even the wise men, all different people from all different walks of life, old, young, were a part of the story of the birth of Christ. Our promised deliverer has come. And that is what this Christmas season is all about. And we celebrate by giving gifts and we celebrate by feasting and feasting and feasting and, and we have to buy new pants in January because the old ones don't fit anymore and we have fun. Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Christ, but we have to know what we're celebrating. It is about the birth of Christ that Emmanuel, God in our darkness, in our void, God came down and he hovered over our lives and Emmanuel came, God with us that in our broken place, God came to be with us. So I, I just want to encourage you today Reshift your compass. Reset your guardrails. Rethink what this season is all about. When you're so busy at Target and, and Macy's and wrapping and, and buying and doing and stressing and I don't have enough to do this and I, I don't have enough to do that and I can't see this family member, how are we gonna do that? Just take a moment and sit down and think about Emmanuel. Because he doesn't care about Target. 
Macy's, pretty gifts. He cares about you. He cares about your family. Put your angels to work. Begin to pray for your family. Instead of grumbling, going, oh my God, you know, like the Grinch. I don't want to make waves, but it's stupid, it's stupid, it's stupid. And start to pray. That family member that I love, do they know? Emmanuel, God has come. In their very darkness, and their void of life, trying to figure out what this is all about. Has the Holy Spirit ever hovered over them? Do they even know it's available? Now I'm not saying, you know, at Christmas dinner on the 24th, walk up to your family member and say, hey, you know, have you ever experienced, you no, know, the hovering of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Maybe not so much. But just simply be the light. Walk into that room and be Jesus. The hands and feet of Jesus. Enjoy the Christmas presents and the trees and the wrapped presents and the cookies and all those things. But remember Jesus. Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Christ. The greatest gift.